Chapter Twenty One of Paul the Dauntless. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by David Leeson. Paul the Dauntless by Basil Joseph Matthews. Chapter Twenty One: The Goad of God. All day they rode, passing along a valley among the heather hills, and at last came to where the waters of the Strymon broadened into a lake that reflected the clouds and the autumn skies. Near the lake among the hills they came on a great city. The City of the Nine Ways, the proud citizens used to call it, because of the roads that radiated from it, though its real name was Amphipolis. If they had been looking over Luke's shoulder when he wrote the account of Paul's journeys, the Amphipolitan people would have told him to scratch out what he had written when he said that his own Philippi was the first city of the district, for Amphipolis was older and larger than Philippi. Rising in the morning, Paul and Silas set out again for a second day's long travel. This stage of their journey lay across the broad neck of a peninsula of many mountains, but, although the mountains were high and wild and the country rough, the great road pointed straight onward, and Paul and Silas urged on their beasts till the gates of another city faced them, as the sun set behind the towers and roofs of Apollonia. A third day's travel of over thirty miles followed, and they came to the place where they were meant to stay for some time. It was called Thessalonica, by Alexander the Great, for that was his sister's name. As they went under the east gate, they would see the afternoon sun shining through a noble triumphal arch along the great marble way that ran straight as an arrow across the city. The arch was there to recall the great triumph when the Battle of Philippi was won by Octavia and of Mark Antony, who, you remember, had been in Tarsus half a century before Paul was born. Up the steep streets of Thessalonica they climbed, till they came to the house of Jason, who welcomed these two travelling fellow-Jews, little knowing the nest of hornets his kindness was to bring about his ears. Down in the harbour many ships swung at anchor, while the sailors got their vessels ready to sail down the gulf into the Aegean Sea. The porters ran across the planks between the ships and the dock, carrying jars of corn and bales of cloth. In this busy harbour city Paul found purchasers for his handiwork. He settled down to work. You remember our hard labour and toil, how we worked at our trade night and day, he reminded the people at Thessalonica afterward in a letter. He wished to preach without being kept by anybody, so that people should not be able to say that he was a travelling Jew talking new things simply to make a living for himself. He went down on the Sabbath to the synagogue, and there he spoke to the Jews and the Greeks who worshipped with them. As he stood up there near the dimly burning lamp, his eager face alive with desire that they should catch from him the light that he had, all could see that every word of Paul's burned with fiery conviction. But could it be true, they asked, that the Messiah had come? They had waited, how long? Through the centuries they had listened and looked for the coming of the King. Now here was this astonishing traveller who had come post-haste across from their own native land to say that truly he, the one sent from God in the person of Jesus Christ, had come. But how? That was the disturbing, unbelievable part of the story. He had suffered, had been condemned to death, and executed by the Roman government. 
Was it likely that such a one was God's anointed Messiah? It was a stumbling block to them. Yet Paul declared that he was the Christ, that he was proved to be so by the fact that God had raised him from death. Paul knew this, he said, for Christ had spoken to him on the road to Damascus. On a weekday Paul went on with his tent-making work, and spoke at the same time to those who would hear him. He talked in this way to all kinds of people. The dyer, with his arms blue to the elbows, bending over his vats, the potter, shaping the clay on his whirling wheel, the leather worker, making crimson shoes or a saddle for one of the merchants of the city, the shipwrights, bending the tough wood to its place on the bow of a new boat, all would hear Paul. Many also of the wives and sisters of the counselors and wealthy merchants in Thessalonica, dressed in those exquisite silks that were brought into the harbor from far-off Persia, also listened to him and were convinced. So for Sabbath after Sabbath Paul spoke, and in the week the Greeks and Jews would come, while he was at work stitching his canvas, and would ask questions and argue with him. One by one, and in increasing numbers, they came to believe that what he said was true. In Thessalonica, however, just as in Antioch in Pisidia, Lystra, and Iconium, there were many Jews who thought that Paul's audacity in declaring first that a man who had hung on the cross as the Son of God, and then that he had come for the love of the other nations as well as the Jews, was a blend of blasphemy and treason against the race. They went round whispering to loungers at the street corners who were spoiling for a riot, and said, these fellows who have come into the city are trying to break down the Roman rule, and to put up a new king in the place of the emperor. Soon they had gathered a mob of ne'er-do-wells. To the house of Jason! was the cry, for they knew that Paul and Silas lived there. Jason heard the noise of a rabble coming down the street in which he lived. Looking out, he could see them filling the road and shouting, waving their hands in the air. Now they were actually stopping in front of his house. They were coming and battering at his door. We want Paul and Silas, they shouted, and attacked Jason's house to get at them. But neither of the two was in the house. In disappointed rage they seized hold of Jason and some of the other Christians, and dragged them along to the rulers of the city, called the Politarchs, or city chiefs. For Thessalonica was a free Roman city, and appointed its own rulers, not receiving praetors from Rome. It was difficult in the confused howling of voices to hear what was really said, but the Politarchs made one man come up and give a statement. These fellows, who upset the whole world, have come here to Thessalonica. Jason here, and they pointed to him, has welcomed them. They all break the decrees of Caesar, for they say that someone else named Jesus is to be king. A yell of patriotic rage went up. The Politarchs were disturbed when they heard this. It was the most awful cry that could be raised in the empire, this charge of treachery and rebellion against Caesar. The Jews raised this charge against Jesus, and now against his pioneer missionary. But the rulers evidently felt that the matter would blow over most easily if they took easy measures. They therefore bound over Jason and the other brethren to keep the peace. Those who followed Christ, nevertheless, knew quite well that the Jews would start a more serious attack on Paul and Silas when they next appeared, and feared it might mean their being executed. 
they therefore persuaded the two that it would be better to leave the city till the fury of the jews cooled the brothers as the early christians called one another could hardly wrench themselves away from paul but it must be done for his sake and their own the two comrades must leave that very night paul gave the brothers at thessalonica parting advice as they gathered in the darkening twilight we can imagine with what tense faces they would lean forward to listen to paul as he told them in very straight strong words how the lord jesus wanted them to live we know some of the things that he said for he recalled them to the people in a letter that he wrote later you must keep clear from unclean living you should never play a fraud on your brother you will not need to be told to love one another god himself tells you that stick to your own task work with your hands and as he said it paul might almost unconsciously lift up his tough hands blackened with the day and night work on the heavy tent canvas so that the outside world respect your straightness and so that you can support yourselves we must be clad in a coat of mail made of faith and love and on our heads the helmet of the hope of salvation keep a check on loafers never lose your temper with any one see that nobody pays back evil for evil but always make a point of being kind to one another and to all the world rejoice all the time and never give up prayer thank god for everything between the hour after sunset when darkness rushes swiftly over the land and the rising of the moon paul and silas quietly escaped they passed by the sentries at the west gate without challenge into the open road the leagues of the egnatian way stretched before them the moon came up and its cold light blanched the empty length of the road into ghostly whiteness silently they strode out along the road in the cool freshness of an early summer night with the memory of the rods and the prison of philippi in their hearts and the shouting of the frenzied mob of thessalonica still in their ears they went out despised and rejected each like his master not having where to lay his head they went however not through the east gate homeward to seek some quiet and refuge but under the west gate out into the road of empire to take what new adventure should befall them end of chapter twenty one